This episode of the Dirtbag Diaries is brought to you by Patagonia, makers of high-quality clothing and gear for outdoor sports, world travel, and daily lives lived in harmony with nature. Visit them on the web at patagonia.com. There is a fine line between life-lasting memory and disaster. Whatever the discipline, alpinism, big wave surfing, foreign travel, we calculate risk, formulate plans, and sometimes we have the spunk to see them through. Not all that much separates a great campfire tale from a story turned tragic. That's the nature of adventure. Meet Jacob Bain. In 2004, after months of traveling throughout Southeast Asia, his journey led him to the small town of Luang Nam Tha in northern Laos. Bordered by deep gorges, jungle, and mountain foothills, the town sits on the very edge of the Golden Triangle, the poppy-growing region that supplies a large chunk of the world's heroin. It is both a lawless and stunning place. In 2004, it was still largely untouched by outside influence. After months of travel, the road ended here. At least the paved one did. Jacob and his childhood friend and traveling partner Colin Bryn were stuck. During the heavy tourist seasons, water taxis head up and down the Nam Tha River, to and from the Thai border, on almost a daily basis. But this was the off-season, and the boats were nowhere to be found. They had decided earlier that they weren't going to reverse the long, horrendous bus ride back towards the capital. So they waited, and waited. They bided their time, and spent the days wandering the open-air market, and drinking beer in the afternoon. In short, they were bored. And when you put two perfectly smart individuals together long enough, they're bound to come up with a bad idea. This is Jacob. I don't even remember who said it. I really don't. But it was like, if we could, let's build a raft. Like, we, let's just build a raft, you know, and, and, and go down this river as far as we can. And it was just like kind of a, a funny thing, like one of those things you throw out there. like. But the idea took root. It gained traction. And pretty soon it had structure. They would fashion a raft out of bamboo and float the 80 kilometers down the Nam Tha to the confluence of the Mekong River, where they would cross into Thailand. This week, we salute the spirit of travel and bad ideas made good. Join us as we follow two friends in a bamboo raft that won't quit down a river at the edge of the world. Words by Jacob Bain, photos by Colin Brin. I'm Fitzka Hall, and you're listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. All right, now that we've thrown it out there, now we have to, the like, least we can do is investigate it a little bit. Like, all right, I wonder how we'd even go about it. Like, can you, do you, can you buy bamboo in a market? You know, no one's selling bamboo in the market. Like, where can we find bamboo? So they talk one of the locals into driving them up into the mountains, to the bamboo forests, where they harvest a dozen or so trees and transport them back to town. Still, there's no word of any boats arriving. They start building the raft, a 12 by 4 foot rectangle lashed together with wax-coated twine. The bad idea had now officially become an ill-advised plan. And, and wasn't there a point where, where somebody chimed in? I mean, <laughs> this sounds like a pretty half-assed plan. It definitely seemed ridiculous. <laughs> but it was exciting, you know? Like, just, like, we were on this mission, like, it's like step by step. Okay, well, at least we'll, like, build the raft. 
Worst case scenario, maybe we like give it to the kids, you know, the kids hanging out on the river. They'd love it. At least we'll build the platform and see if it floats. At least, like, you know what I mean? Like we got days to kill. We'll just like take it a little, a step further and a step further. See what happens, I think. But no one was willing to say, no one was ever going to say out loud, like, this is a bad idea. And pretty soon they had a raft, a bonafide vessel. It was time to launch. It took some trials and tribulations to get the thing to float. We had initially built the initial platform, heaved it down this about probably 10 foot embankment into the water, stood on it, and the water kind of came above it and it sunk down underneath the, the surface. So, and, and so you're telling me that the first time you guys tried this boat, it sank? Oh, and people just started laughing, man. Like the shore was lined with people laughing at this point. And you guys didn't think to maybe stop and be like, this is a bad idea. No, it was a great idea. <laughs> you know, at this point it was like, we need bigger bamboo. Before you know it, you got a raft that floats and here you are and your backpack's tied to it and, and you're shoving off. My experience on the river is essentially nil, aside from drinking a six-pack and going down on a minute or two. So, undertaking a multi-day expedition into uncharted waters was a little bit unnerving. Jacob's knowledge of watercraft was only slightly more advanced than Collins, and they knew next to nothing about the Nam Thaw. In the days leading up to their departure, they asked around for maps or charts. Nothing. With little Lao in their vocabularies, they mined and used hand gestures to ply information from the locals. And the one bit of information they get is this. About the only words that we could get from people were class three rapids. So this is in English, they're telling you class three rapids. And this is due to a kayaking outfit in town run by some foreigners that they're picking up on this dialogue from. But yeah, this is... <laughs> This is the one thing that they're telling us. Class three rapids, no good. My friend, no good. So this is in the back of their minds as they begin floating away from Luang Nam Tha. For some reason at the beginning, I don't remember being that afraid. And not like, oh, I'm a fearless warrior. But I don't really remember being that afraid at the time. It just, it, it felt like the right thing to do. That's all I could really explain about it. But, I, but then as we were on it, on the river, there were some uh, some points you'd round a bend and see some moving water and the f for the first couple days before we kind of got used to the program or used to how the river was running what to do how to stop the raft quickly how to turn off how to direct the thing i mean these are all things we had to kind of figure out you know not being river savvy people at all an hour before dusk they round a bend and they can hear the first rapid the horizon lines disappear and they go for it and almost immediately they run the raft up on rocks Pry it loose and shoot the rest of the small rapid and eddy out. It's not that bad. They spy a flat bed of forest with large trees from which they can string their hammocks and pull off. They cook up a bag of ramen, start a small fire, and eventually curl up beneath mosquito netting. And just as I started to kind of close my eyes, I, I heard, uh, I heard a rustling in the in the jungle. Kind of, we're on the edge of this steep embankment, and and saw a flashlight coming down the hillside. And I mean, if I could, you know, explain that my heart just was pounding so fast. 
Jacob froze with fear. He could hear the men coming closer. See the flashlight sweeping across the forest understory. In the middle of a jungle, miles from the nearest town, it dawned on Jacob just how out there they were. I don't know what I thought. I, I thought the worst. I thought about rebels. I thought about, I thought about people coming to kick us off their land like we were intruding. I thought about being held captive and all these things were running through my mind and it was just, you know, I thought we were alone in the middle of a jungle and here comes two people wandering down no trail at all. The flashlight beam is dancing on the trees around them. Jacob doesn't know what to do. And the flashlight was pretty consistent. I could see it through my, you know, fly of my hammock and then it just kind of, you know, it landed on my hammock. The flashlight landed on me and I lay motionless and then kind of flipped to the side real quick and the, and the dialogue just stopped. And so I just said one of the few words I know in Lao, which is hello, Sabadi. And they mumbled it back, Sabadi. But I could tell by that moment that nothing was wrong, that it, we were all in the same boat. The two men slowly made their way to the flickering embers of the campfire and rekindled the flames. Colin emerged from his sleeping bag and settled in next to the men. Jacob joined them. They exchanged gestures and a few fragmented scraps of Lao and English. The men sipped from a plastic bottle filled with a dark, thick liquid, opium tea. They were fishermen. Inside this tiny bubble of light in the oppressively dark jungle, they laughed with one another, communicated with the most rudimentary form of human expressions gestures, and smiles. Sometime in the night, the men curled around the fire and slept. When Jacob and Colin awoke at dawn, they were gone. You think you're completely alone, no sign of life, and then all of a sudden, Somebody pops their head out of the bushes next on the riverbank. You never really, you always felt alone, but you always also felt like there was somebody right around the corner watching you or just waiting for you to pass before they would uh, pop out of the woods. We started to get really excited every day, just almost knowing something extraordinary was going to happen or something different each day. We'd joke about it or hypothesize. I wonder what's going to happen tonight. Their experience the night before proved to be the defining moment of the journey. What they thought was a remote, empty jungle proved to be filled with people who relied on the river for fish and the jungle for meat. They passed a few tiny clusters of hut, men wearing loincloths and piloting dugout canoes. Children ran along the shore, yelling in English, hello and goodbye, in the same breath. They settled in for the evening. Colin started working on the fire. Jacob wandered into the woods to search for more wood. And that's when it happened. I walk to a fallen tree to cut a branch off with my machete for the fire. The wood is hard. I strike down in diagonal blows, left then right. Just as the branch is almost cut, I swing from the right and feel my thumb gush. With my hand throbbing, I run to the light of the fire, leaving a trail of blood the whole way. 
Colin's eyes are wide, as are mine. It takes a long time to stop the gash from bleeding, a good hour. We inspect the wound. I am lucky that I did not chop my thumb off. A half an inch higher, and I would have only four fingers on my left hand. The wound was deep. They held it to the light of the fire. The errant machete slash had caught a small vein. They talked about cauterizing the wound or stitching it up with a crude travel sewing kit. Two days into the adventure, it seemed as if their trip had taken a turn for the worse. And I remember specifically thinking, or wondering, what kind of organisms are living in this river? In a real humid climate, in the middle of a jungle, things don't heal fast. And I was, you know, I was mad at myself for doing that. It was a, a, a stupid mistake. Jacob boiled water, cleaned the wound as best as possible, and dressed it. Gradually, the bleeding slowed. There was no choice but to continue downriver. They slept nervously and without visitors. We come upon a demanding section of rapids. Colin calls directions. Left, right, left, left. The raft slams into a rock, sending Colin airborne into the river, which he quickly recovers from. The bamboo twists under the pressure of the currents, creaking and groaning, caught between water and stone, testing the strength of the wax-coated rope. It's close to breaking. With all of our might, we push and pull. The raft comes free, and it's a test to jump back on as it regains speed in the rapids. Colin and Jacob were elated. The dressing on Jacob's wound seemed to be holding, and there was no sign of infection. They had just tackled the biggest rapid they had encountered along the way. They could feel the momentum gathering. They still had not a clue where they were, but that was just a minor detail. The river wasn't as nearly intimidating as they had imagined. The rapids were few and far between. In fact, the majority of the river resembled a very long lake. At times, the current was barely perceptible. They had to stay close to the shore in the shallows just to be able to push with their long bamboo poles. Along the way, they passed small villages, many of them tribal groups who did not speak Lao. On the third night, they pulled off and camped on a steep hillside. Their small fire crackled on the edge of the bank while they waited for water to boil for another dish of noodles. Around the corner comes a, comes a fisherman, a single man um, with a single push pole in a long canoe. And just kind of no problem, no... Uh, no problem just paddling or pushing right up to us immediately. The man says nothing and just stares at the boiling water. Jacob and Colin pantomime that they are willing to share. The man pulls out a small fish from his canoe and dumps it into the pot. Jacob throws another bag of noodles into the boiling water. The thing is, both Colin and Jacob know that they are running out of food. They aren't making near the time they had expected to. The fish and the noodles are simmering, and all of a sudden, it's like someone has started ringing the dinner bell. Three more fishermen appear and sit down around the fire. Another bag of noodles goes into the pot. Ten minutes earlier, Jacob and Colin had thought that they were completely alone. And you must be sitting there thinking like, oh God, <laughs> this is going to get rough. Yeah, Colin more than me. He, he definitely had a look in his eyes like, be careful with how many noodles you add to that pot, man. So even if it's just a little bit by step by stepping on, we gotta keep moving in the right direction. Cause we got a long way to go. Even when sometimes we find ourselves two steps ahead, we had no maps. 
we had no way of telling how far we were, how far we had to go. So, yeah, we, had, we, we started running out of food. And then it became like a different trip at that point, you know? To make matters worse, the wind was now working against them. The day was spent pushing desperately, trying to gain ground. The lack of food coupled with back-breaking work was beginning to take its toll. The mood had changed. I think on that last, second to last day, I think probably a total of, I don't know, 10 sentences the whole day were uttered between us and then a lot of swearing and under our breaths at each other and vocally at ourselves. Round the bend and see no moving water for as far as we could see, and the wind would still be blowing against us. And it was heartbreaking sometimes. Other times we'd round that bend and see moving water on the horizon and get so excited that we'd get a free ride for a little while. We didn't know how long until we approached it. But it was like the best feeling ever to see moving water was what our life revolved around. make a fire quickly and hang our hammocks while the last of our noodles cook. The ground is littered with bird feathers and used batteries that look like empty shotgun shells. We set aside our last two Insta coffee packets for the morning instead of indulging in our traditional after-dinner brew and head to bed. They had planned for three days on the river. Day six had arrived. Their bellies rumbled, hunger pains set in. Even though the trip had taken on urgency, the irony of their situation wasn't lost on them. They were, after all, two young American tourists who had put themselves at the edge of the world on a raft, no less. On Nam Tha, food comes from the river or the jungle, not the supermarket. If the rice crop fails, families struggle for an entire year. And here they were, bellies empty for only a day. Their struggle, or what felt like a struggle, must be the merest trifling compared to what some of these people had faced in their lifetimes. But that realization doesn't take away the gnawing hunger. When they engaged people along the river, they were almost always met with smiles, but it always seemed better to stay out of the villages. On the first day, they had entered a tiny hamlet of 20 or 30 people and had been met with blank stares and an indifferent shoulder. It had felt that they were intruding, and since that first day, they had been wary of the outposts they saw along the way. But now they were in trouble. They had no idea how far they had to go. They had been hungry for days. Those cultural responsibilities, considerations, and examinations had given way to raw human need. What, what do you do? You, you walk into a village and ask for food. So that's exactly what we did. A man steps forward with a kind face that makes me feel comfortable. I put my hand to my mouth to imitate someone eating. At first he stands, watching my movements, straining to understand. Then he spins around and climbs a steep staircase into a hut made of bamboo and obscure-sized tree branches. He returns with a plastic bag full of sticky rice and a small river fish neatly placed across the top. I extend my hands to meet his and take the food. I'll just, I'll never forget walking into that village and the people surrounding me and offering food, knowing exactly why I was there, a circle around me of people that had nothing but smiles on their face and uh, 
were imitating me, everything I'd say, you know, simple things, thank you, please, laughing, and just like the energy of all these kids and people around me, really happy that I was there, you know, not at all any negative, anything about it, um, was a pretty special experience for me. People live so simply along the Nam Tha River. No electricity, no automobiles. From what I have observed, little contact with the outside world. I try to imagine how I would feel if people came to my home, asking for food, a lighter. We stand observing each other for a few more moments. He looking at my sandals, my trousers, me at his tough calloused feet and warm eyes, his strong hands. I turn to leave and realize that there are many people behind me watching this interaction. Sometimes we stumble into wisdom. This is the magic of traveling. It's not always done gracefully. We end up learning as much about ourselves as the cultures we engage. It can be like looking into a cracked mirror or listening to your voice on a tape recorder. The reflection is distorted and bent, but still recognizable. The voice sounds so foreign, but oddly, it is your own. I spend more time than you could imagine thinking about that trip. Like something from that will click into my head and make me laugh or just smile or something. You know, it's like a really special experience. A day later, exhausted and still famished, Jacob and Kong drifted into Nale. They were just a little more than halfway to the Mekong, nowhere near their intended destination. They had been on the river for six days. Their trip was a rare and fleeting glimpse into life in northern Laos. As you listen to this, the jungles around Luang Nam Tha are being clear-cut. Backed with Chinese money, the Lao government is overseeing the construction of a massive casino designed to lure in Chinese from across the border. Local residents, fearing that environmental degradation will lead to a drop in ecotourism, have spoken out. The results have not been good. In late March, one of the most vocal opponents of the casino and logging, the owner of the boat launch from which Jacob and Colin set sail, was pulled from his motorcycle into an unmarked car containing four men in nondescript uniforms. He hasn't been seen since. According to a Burmese newspaper, a few backpackers, who strayed from the main towns to see the jungle, were blocked by gun-toting government authorities. Theirs was a brief moment in a beautiful place. episode was made possible by the good people at Patagonia. Words by Jacob Bain, photos by Colin Brin, music by Trolls Cottage. Additional music provided by Suze Perez. We'd love to hear from you. Please email dirtbagdiaries at earthlink.net. I'm Fitz Cahal, and you've been listening to the Dirtbag Diaries.
cups, fishing in the gutter with the new rain and the clutter. Pretend it's my name on the front. Take out my pen and change the departure date and the line.